good morning again. Uh, my name is Andrew, in case we haven't met, uh, and it's really lovely uh, to be together this morning. Um, it's my privilege to speak from God's Word this morning, uh, so let's pray. A great God in heaven, uh, we thank you uh, that we can call you Father, that you invite us into a relationship with you to know you. We thank you for Luke's baptism this morning, and we pray that he might grow to know you more and more. And we pray now, as we look at your word and we hear what it says, that you'd help us to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. There are times in life when knowing the facts makes all the difference. One small example is my recent trip to the dentist this week. I haven't been to the dentist for about 10 months uh, so I thought it was probably about time to get a checkup, and, and I also noticed that one of my teeth here has been feeling a bit funny lately. You know, when I chew on that side, there's a bit of pressure, a bit of discomfort. So I went to the dentist on Tuesday, just here in Dremoyne, uh, to the for the first time, and and since I hadn't been there before, they recommended I get an X-ray to just have a look at everything, see what's going on. So I got my teeth x-rayed and I received some bad news. Uh, the dentist, she showed me that on the x-ray that there's a, quite a big hole on that tooth that's been feeling a bit funny. Uh, she said it's really good news though that we found it now because waiting a bit longer, a few weeks, a month, it might have ended up as a, a root canal, which I am aware of notoriously expensive and painful. So I'm going back ASAP this Tuesday to get uh, a filling done, to fix it up. So, so with the help of the dentist, right, I got to know the reality of the situation. I got, I got to know the facts. And so now I can respond accordingly. I can go back, get it fixed up, get a filling, it's sorted. There are many situations in life where knowing the facts, knowing the reality of the situation makes all the difference. You know, knowing you've got the correct address when you're traveling somewhere new. Knowing that a, a friend or family member is, is going through hardship and really needs your help. You can act accordingly. Or, or knowing that there's a cancer uh, growing in your body and it needs treatment quite urgently. N- knowing these things, knowing the facts, can help us to respond rightly to the reality This is what the Bible helps us to do. It helps us to live in harmony with reality, to know the reality of God in particular and to respond accordingly. The city of Athens in in the first century, it was a place that loved knowledge, an esteemed place where people learnt and discussed the latest ideas. But when Paul was in Athens, he saw that They were missing a piece of knowledge. They were missing knowledge about God, the the true God. They wanted to know God. They had all these idols, you might have heard, but but their knowledge of God was it was small, it was it was incomplete. They, They didn't know the true God. They didn't know how big he really was. So we're gonna have a think about that question. Do do we know God? Do we know the true God? Do we know how big God is? As you might have heard last week, uh, Acts 
chapters 16 to 18 covers the missionary journey of Paul around a few cities. And this week, we zoom in in chapter 17 to his visit to Athens. So let's dive in. We're now at point one on your outlines, your paper outlines if you've got them. And I'll read from the start of our passage at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day to, to those who happened to be there. So Paul arrives in Athens before his friends, Silas and Timothy, and he sees the impressive architecture. He sees all the emblems of sophisticated culture in Athens. But Paul isn't impressed. He's distressed. He's distressed to see that this city is full of idols. As he looks around, he sees through the the facade of, of sophisticated culture because his eyes, his eyes are calibrated to see what is truly important, the reality of God. Instead of holy reverence of the one true God, the Athenians, they have this smorgasbord of of different idols. They have a collection of false gods made of gold or silver or stone, man-made things crafted into beautiful images. They're seeking a connection with the divine, but they're looking in all the wrong places. It's like they're, they're trying to catch a train to the city but they've actually got on on the wrong side of the platform and they're going in the opposite direction. They've completely missed what they're hoping to do. So Paul, in his distress, as he is often done, he goes to the marketplace, he goes to the synagogue to share with people about Jesus, the one true God. But the Athenians, this was completely new to them. Some of the philosophers dispute with him and say, what is this babbler trying to say? He's saying these strange foreign ideas. But some of them really did want to hear more. Luke, the writer of this book of Acts, he tells us in verse 21 that the Athenians, they love new ideas. They're curious. They love to hear all the latest things. And they seem to have this plethora of idols all these different gods, but out of kind of curiosity more than any sort of commitment. They don't really commit to anyone in particular. Their their religious commitment seems to be a bit like like my commitment to sport, to following sport. I, I love sport. I'll play almost any sport. But when people ask me, oh, who's your team? I don't, I don't have a team. I'll happily watch any sport, but I don't really commit to any team. I love watching the highlights, those three to four minute videos with all the goals or all the tries. But I don't particularly follow a team. I know some here are different. Some some people love the Tigers here. I think a bit similarly, the Athenians, right, they... They love the highlights. They love the latest ideas, but they, they don't have any commitment. And, and this is a, a much more important thing 
than following sport. So, so far, they've just seen Jesus as a new idea, one of the many gods, one, a foreign god from another land. Ooh, this looks interesting. But Paul goes on to say how problematic that is, to view Jesus as one of the many options out there. So when we move on to point two, where Paul makes this unknown God known to them. He makes him known to them. So Paul comes to the meeting at the Areopagus. It's this place where they share, the philosophers share their latest ideas. And I'll read from verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are in every way very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found this altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. To their credit, the Athenians, they know that they might not know everything there is to know about spirituality. They they believe there's so many gods that there even might be one that they don't know yet, that they don't know about. And so Paul kind of commends them on this desire to know God. But he also takes the opportunity to tell them that this God that they they don't know, I'm going to make it known to you. He is the true God, and I want to tell you about him. This God who is too big to be contained in a man-made idol. So the first thing Paul tells about them tells them about this God is that he is the creator. He's the one who created everything. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. God made the world, everything we see outside in nature around us. He made it all. And so he is the ruler. He rules it. He made it so he rules it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Saying heaven and earth, it's just the way of saying everything, all creation, from top to bottom, God made it all. He rules it all. From the largest galaxies to the tiniest atoms in our bodies, all of it made by the hand of God. All of it created in the beginning by the one who had no beginning, God. He made all of that. So he doesn't need anything we can give him. He doesn't need us to build him a house, or give him food to eat. In fact, like I said in the kids' talk, God gives us everything we need, not the other way around. Verse 25 says, He is is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives us, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God is completely self-sufficient. He's completely independent. We're the dependent ones. We're dependent on him for everything we need. Let's continue reading at verse 26. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God made all the peoples of the earth. 
He governs when and when we live, when and where we live, so that we might reach out to him and find him. He even, Paul even quotes the Greek poets of the day in verse 28 because he knows that what we see in creation, it points to God. It points to the one who created it. And whether we admit it or not, I think God created us all with a sense that he's there, a sense of the divine. God draws us to him, not in order that we might serve his needs, but for the purpose of relationship. The God who lacks nothing invites us for relationship because he wants a relationship. The, the other day, I was doing a bit of vacuuming at home, and our two-year-old, two-year-old son, Zach, he wanted to help. Some of you might know this situation, the young child, they want to help, they want to get involved. So I've got the real vacuum cleaner, and Zach grabs a little toy, starts pushing it around next to me, uh, helping, right? He's helping me with the vacuuming. Not really, is he? But it's really lovely, not, not that I need help with the vacuuming. I'm, I'm perfectly fine to vacuum the whole house by myself. But it's lovely because he wants to participate with what his dad is doing. He, he wants to get involved. He wants relationships. And sometimes it actually does help. He can move things here and there, move his little chair out of the way so I can vacuum underneath it. But it's about relationship. And this is a bit like the way God invites us in. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us. But he wants relationship. He wants us to participate in what he is doing in the world. God made us and he made us for a relationship with him, our creator. We're now going to move to the, the second point under that point two. God is the judge. Paul goes on to tell the Athenians that God is not only the creator, but he's the judge. In verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He's much bigger than that, isn't he? To think that the one who made everything, that we could make something with our own hands and think, oh, that's, that's like God. The idols that Paul saw in Athens, they made him distressed because man-made things were being worshipped instead of the one who made man. It's, it's like a child asking their teddy bear for a sandwich. It's just crazy to think that something we make is worthy of our worship rather than the creator who made everything. You see, this, this type of idolatry, it's, it's a twofold problem. God is being ignored. He's not getting the attention he deserves. And instead, man-made things are getting more attention than they deserve. Just uh, this week, with all the rain, outside on the grass there, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a mud patch where the water drips down from the shade cloth and it just makes this big muddy puddle during the week. And thinking, thinking about that puddle, right? imagine if, if we at DPC, we saw all that water and we thought, oh, what, what is life-giving? Water is so helpful. We not, ought not to let that go to waste, surely. So let's, let's dig that hole a bit deeper. More water goes in there. 
And after, after church, let's get our mugs. Let's, let's use that to drink. <laughs> that would be insane, right? That would be ridiculous, absurd. Why would we do that? There's, there's two kitchens with taps, free-flowing, fresh, drinkable water within 10 meters. Why would we turn away from that and drink from a muddy puddle? And yet that's the way the Bible describes idolatry, turning away from the Creator who can give us everything we need, the one who's like a spring of living water, and instead turning away to man-made things. It's like turning to a muddy puddle for a drink of water. So beware of treating man-made things as if they can give us what we need. Only, only God can supply all our needs. Because not only is it a terrible choice for us, but it's an offence to God to turn away from him and turn to these other things. What does God do about this offence? Well, have a look in verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. God says, enough is enough. I've let this slide in the past, but now it needs to stop. Both for your good and for my glory, I'm not going to let this idolatry continue. To allow man-made things continue to get the attention that God deserves. And he sent his son, Jesus, and, and raised him from the dead as proof that one day, that day will come when God will put an end to all idolatry. So this is the reality. God's the creator, God's the judge. The question is, how will we respond to that reality? We're on point three of your outlines now, responding to this knowledge. With my, with my tooth problem at the start, I could just ignore it. I could hope that it goes away, uh, just make sure I work really hard at flossing and brushing or whatever. I could avoid getting that filling because it's a bit too uncomfortable. I don't want to go through that process. But that would be a mistake, wouldn't it? I'm much better off going on Tuesday, getting it fixed up, get that filling, even if it'll be uncomfortable. Because that's the right response to reality. That's to live in harmony with the reality. It's the best option in the long run. Avoiding that future pain of a root canal. Pain for my body and for my wallet. Because the hole in my tooth is real. It, it won't just go away if I just ignore it. In a similar way, God is real. He is the real creator and the real judge. He won't just go away if we ignore him. So let's live in harmony with the reality of this God. This message that Paul gives to the Athenians, it's, it's both an invitation and a warning. Come and know God, your creator. Have a relationship with him and a warning. Stop, stop committing your life to things of this world, things that can't 
and won't deliver what you expect them to. Paul's message for, this, for the Athenians is this. Come and know God. Turn away from idols. And that the Athenians had a mix of responses when they heard this message. And people today still have a mix of responses. Some sneered. They weren't interested. Some were curious to hear more. Some believed what he said and turned away from idols, turned to the living God. And they entered a relationship with the one who created them. This great news, this invitation is for all people. This invitation to know the true God, have a relationship with him. It's not just for you, it's not just for me, it's not just for us here, it's for for everyone. Your family, your neighbours, your friends, your colleagues. Everyone needs to hear about the true God. So let's make him known. Now to finish off, let's have a little thought experiment. Just as Paul visited a bunch of different cities, I wonder what you think he'd say if he visited Dremoyne, this suburb, the inner west. Perhaps, there's lots of things he could say, but perhaps something like this. People of Dremoyne, I see that in every way you are very busy, very hurried. For as I look and see the hustle and bustle of the traffic, people rushing to and fro, I see you fret and worry, stressed and anxious. You work harder and longer, striving for the next milestone, hoping that you might meet the expectations of those around you. Don't you know that God's opinion of you, that's that's the only one that matters? He's the judge. And don't you know that God's the creator of all things? And he lovingly and generously gives us everything we need. He gives you life and breath and everything else. Look at the, listen to the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. They don't work or save or stress, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So, so be still and know that he is God. Know that he will be exalted among the nations and he will receive the glory he is due. And he invites you to share that with him. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, we thank you and praise you for making yourself known to us and for welcoming us into relationship with you. We pray pray that you might help us to know you more. Please expand our minds and our hearts to see more and more of you. And Father, please help us to get rid of idols that creep into our lives. May you be the true king of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.